This is At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua, a podcast featuring interviews with top performers in sports, business, and entertainment to uncover the stories, lessons, and disciplines of the top 1%. Ladies and gentlemen. And now, here's your host, CEO and entrepreneur, Manuela Mesqua. Hey, welcome to another episode at the podium. This is where we visit with guests who've reached the podium in all walks of life. We're focused and obsessed about sharing the stories of high performers who've done it in sports, in business, in entertainment, and life in general. The common theme is always that these people have done the things that most won't to achieve and experience life in a way that most never will. And I've always said those unique sacrifices allow us to celebrate them here at the podium. Before I get into my guy that I have here today that's shipping out to San Francisco in two weeks, I want to give a special shout out to my friend Dana Cornelius. Dana and her friend and partner Tiffany. Dana's the CEO, co-owner of Sporta Kings, the, the gear that I am rocking today. Yes, folks, I do wear more than a blue suit, white shirt, and a tie. Dana, Tiffany, and the team, they just dropped a new shipment of hoodies and t-shirts to me. So Dana, Tiffany, thank you so much. And if you want to check out the gear, Tabor's going to get a gift box from the podcast today for showing up and being with us. But if you want to get the gear, 20% off, 2-0 if you drop in the code PODIUM. Check it out, Sport of Kings. Love Dana and Tiffany. Today, we're hosting my friend Tabor Pepper. How you doing? Good, man. Tabor's an NFL athlete, currently with the San Francisco 49ers, has a a few really awesome and amazing, unique stories that he's going to share today. We had dinner a couple days ago, and they just started spilling all over the dinner table. I'm going to pick on those, but he's a proud son, husband to Haley, and a newly minted father on planet Earth to baby Rue. Congratulations, Tabor, and welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So... First of all, share with our listeners, Haley's in the hospital, <laughs> Rue shows up, greatest gift on planet Earth to the Pepper family. Tell us where you were that very next morning. That next morning, <laughs> I was back at my house. I had to wa- uh, go walk the dogs, um, take care of those guys, but I was on a call with Manny and Podium Risk Management um, because it was a couldn't miss, must have call at that point in time. I am laughing. Tabor and I met through our good friend Benny Fowler and and this call schedule, and it's scheduled weeks out, right? He's training in the offseason. He's going to be a new dad. He's busy. He's got multiple homes. He's kind of all over the place right now, you know, living life at the highest level. And so the, the, the call is scheduled weeks out. And I get on the call and he makes a comment about his hair or, or his appearance or something. He's like, hey, my bad. I haven't slept. We just had a baby. <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, we could reschedule. But what did you and Benny say at dinner? On Monday when we were together about guys like you, pro athletes that are committed and when it's set. Oh, yeah. We have a a, a story that that we uh, went through at Michigan State, Benny and I. But basically what it comes down to is I said I will do it and it will be done. So once I was in the books, (laughs) 
it was going to take a lot for me to miss that call because if I if I didn't do it at home, it, it would have just been in the hospital room. <laughs> I would have just have uh, given Haley some headphones or something. I love it. And so then that when he shows up and I said, oh, my goodness, I'm like, well, first of all, congratulations to you and Haley and the family. Right. And I'm like, but hey, we can reschedule. You're like, no, I said I would do it. It's on the calendar. I'm here. Exactly. So it was a great meeting. I appreciated you holding yourself to it. Uh, Share the story about Michigan State and where that was, what that reminded you of. Oh, yeah. So uh, every year before camp started, um, Coach Antonio would show a video to the entire team. It was called the Blue Vase video. and I don't even know when this was filmed. There's a guy who looks like a a professor, a college professor from the 70s, kind of sitting on a couch giving this lecture about how this this guy said he would get this blue vase for a family that, you know, paid for him to deliver it. And he goes to the store and it's gone. They shipped it to another store. So he rode on a train, so on and so forth, like four different twists in the story. And it came back to the same mantra. I said, I will do it and it will be done. So that was just something coach D wanted to instill in us uh, going into each and every season. That's awesome. And, and as you know, we, we kind of chatted about it uh, before today, but the the podcast has been extremely uh, well received by student athletes, mm-hmm. a lot of D1 athletes, a lot in Michigan, the great state of Michigan, of course, you know, here's where we are. Um, but I always like to take a second to maybe ask our guests, you know, when you think, when you look back at your time playing football and every other sport that you've played throughout your life. What's some of the advice that you might share with student athletes today that really have a vision and aspiration to perform at a high level? What are you saying at the camps you attend? What are you saying at the schools that you go speak at? What are some of those nuggets? Um, So one of the main things is something that I still do today. If I don't know how to do a drill perfectly from what a coach said or whether it's a lift or something new. Um, there's so much you can learn just from watching other people. You know, they always say be first in line, be first in line for different drills. But if you aren't sure of the footwork exactly, maybe it's a good idea to go second or third, let somebody go in front of you. They might do it right. They might do it wrong. You get one coaching point before you even step foot and and can do part of the drill. So learning from other people, whether they're doing well or whether they're making mistakes, everybody can serve as an example. Awesome. Great, great example. Take us, Tabor, take us back to the childhood. You, you shared that with a little bit, a little bit with me, but, um, you, you lived in a couple different states. I know you were born in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Then you went to Oklahoma, ended up in Michigan, Take us back to your childhood and maybe the the most vivid memory you have of when you said, I'm going to play football mm-hmm. and I'm not just going to play football. I'm going to be great at football. Like I'm going to commit to football. So there were a couple of different points in my life where I had kind of shifts or maybe focuses in different areas. So growing up, um, my dad played college football at University of Illinois in 89 and 90. Um, Jeff George, I know yes. some people know that name pretty well. My generation, not as familiar with it. I'm but, old. Right. <laughs> uh, Manny gets it. So um, growing up, I had this you know history of college football in the family. My, my grandpa um, played at Oklahoma University for a year or two and then did an- something else. But there's college yeah. football pedigree in my family. And so I just grew up kind of assuming I would play college football. And 
second through seventh grade, I was a starting quarterback. Um, and I'm not going to twist it. Like I, I, I was balling out in <laughs> second through seventh grade. Well, I don't know what happened. Maybe it just got to be too much, but I told my mom I didn't want to play quarterback anymore because it was too much pressure. And I laugh really hard now because now I'm a specialist in the NFL and have arguably one of the most stressful <laughs> pressure filled roles in the entire on the entire team, like the kicker and I and the punter really have the most pressure filled situation. So I always laugh at myself that I needed to take myself away from the quarterback pressure. So I became a specialist. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense logically, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I would say when I got to 10th grade, I kind of had to look around and I was third string wide receiver, fourth string defensive end. And I kind of scratched my head one day and I was like, how am I going to get, to play college football if I can't even see the field in high school and I was like oh man so at that point I had been doing long snapping camps for about two years and I was the starting long snapper uh my team in Michigan and I was like this is my ticket I'm going to really really focus on that um and I think my sophomore year I was probably ranked like 20th in the nation um and then by the time I graduated as a senior I was fifth in the country uh for long snapping that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And your your father obviously played at a high level. Your grandfather did as well, but like your father specifically, were there any conversations that really stand out to you that are memorable, good or bad, right? From your time playing in high school that you think really reinforced and cemented your commitment to seeing that through and getting to college and playing at a high level? Yeah. One thing is like a conversation that we didn't have actually was... I and I'll give them so much credit, um, especially the older I get. Um, I never felt pressure from my parents to like play or like perform at a certain level. Awesome. Um, there was one year in I think it was either seventh or eighth grade. There was only one year in my life I didn't play football from when I started, and I think it was seventh grade. So I I played quarterback second to sixth, mm-hmm. but um, the sign up day was inching closer and I was kind of giving my mom some very kind of sliding the question. Oh, do you want to go sign up? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so finally the night before she's like, listen, are you signing up for football or what? Um, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. The, the most pressure I ever got from my family was my mom said, I'll buy you a new pair of cleats tomorrow if you sign up for it. And I thought about it and I was just like, I don't think so. I don't think I want to play this year. And, um, <laughs> so that was right before school started. We get into that first week of school and that Friday in my town, the guys were allowed to wear their jerseys to school. Love it. And we were allowed to like, let a girl wear our Jersey and stuff. So I saw, you know, the guys in, in school with the jerseys and then some of the girls with some of the, my teammates jerseys. And I just walked in and I saw it and I was like, damn, like, I made a huge mistake. I should have, even though it was kind of silly, like I didn't watch anyone play, but just the, the fanfare around it and how much it means, especially in the South and Oklahoma. Um, I knew I messed up, but that was my choice that I made. So I, I just signed right back up the next year and never looked back, but you took that season off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was the, it was the girls, the cute girls wearing the jerseys that really got me, I guess. (laughs) Does Haley wear your jersey to the games? No, God, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> she's trying to blend in. She doesn't really do the loud. She's uh, not. She doesn't have the bedazzled jersey or anything like that. She's not. She's not. Who's 
whose wife is it? Uh, I, I, oh, there's I a lot of wives. No, 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 I don't know. I don't know why I'm forgetting your tight end. Oh, uh, George Kittle. Yeah. yeah Kittle. <laughs> they ball out. I mean, they're they like, have a good time. They're like red carpet, San oh, Francisco yeah. 49er runway on game day. We have every game. I love it. Leading <laughs> from our parking lot into our building on game day. They actually do roll out a red carpet with, with the, uh, the logo on it. That's I, where we do our, like our cool fashion entrance yes. photos is on that red carpet. So my, my 12 year old son, Atlas, and I know we mentioned it at dinner, but he's, He's obsessed with like the best receivers in the league, right? Mm-hmm. He's an aspiring receiver. And so um, Kittle is like one of his five favorite receivers in the NFL right now. So a couple of years ago, when he first started getting really into it, I was like, oh, you know what? I mean, I mean, I grew up a Chicago Bear fan, right? From Chicago my entire life until I moved to Michigan five years ago. I'm like, well, you know, I'll follow him. Mm-hmm. So I started following He's- him and I became obsessed with oh. George Kittle, seriously. And then, and then like I started seeing, Oh, this is his wife. I'm like, all right, I'll just follow his wife. And then I, and then I saw the whole production They're show. Infectious. I was like, that that's like its own business. Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, like she could launch a business tomorrow of like, let me teach an NFL wife how to dress on game day. <laughs> and like, she would be the greatest. I think she would, yeah, actually, that's a pretty good right? business. I might, I'm going to steal that, Manny. So Kittle, I might you give heard you credit. It. Kittle, you heard it here first. Pepper and I came up with the idea. All I want is a one penny royalty on it. And uh, a teach NFL wives how to show up for game day. Yeah, Seriously. Yeah. I, it's a business in itself. I mean, um, guys, so um, I have a stylist. Her name is Des. Um <laughs> <laughs> Benny and I actually we we're good friends with Des as well. Um, but she, she that could be epic because she was telling me stories of some of her clients. They get um, tax write offs, so they'll 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 be like, "We're doing a two week trip in Miami in the off season. I need ten fa- uh, ten fits, um, a photographer and a videographer in the area, and that I need all three of those by this date." And I'm like, how do they do that? And she's like, they just, they're able to write it off as marketing because, you know, fashion is a part of their Instagram brand. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. I don't think I've gotten to that point. <laughs> I don't know if my closet's to the point where the IRS could be like, hmm, yeah, this is an investment. So we're getting there, hopefully. Uh, the, other, the other day, Haley and I teased them about his shoes. I was like, oh my goodness. If, if my wife, Samantha, saw you right now, she would, she would love you even more. Yeah. <laughs> My shoe game's been stepping up over it the has years, been, right? yeah, slowly yeah. but surely. Yeah, not mine. Mine is blue loafers and white sneakers, <laughs> um, the kind you get at Foot Locker, not the kind that Tabor wears. Um, let, let's. I don't. I don't want to speak past it because I think there's just so much meat on the story from your days at Michigan State, right? You know, <clears throat> you you grew up in three different states. Um, you know, those states. I mean, football is everything two different conferences. You had a lot of exposure to football through your father and your grandfather as well. I mean, Big Ten was like the common theme. Did that have anything to do with your decision to go play at Michigan State? And maybe just add a little bit more color to how you got to Michigan State. Yeah, so my dad um, has done sports marketing for a long time. Uh, He actually just pivoted into like digital marketing for a a news um, company in Illinois. But for the longest time, he was doing... Uh, fulfillment and sports marketing so he would um sell the signage and stadiums so like if you go to uh well little caesars like um any tito's signage any jim beam signage um i think he did the xfinity deal like anywhere you see that in 
little Caesars arena. Like my dad sold that, um, a couple years back. Awesome. Um, so I got bird's eye view of so many different, um, like athletic fields. And, um, so you're asking about the big 10 when we lived in Oklahoma, my dad worked for Tulsa and then he worked for Oklahoma state. So I saw a little bit of the big 12, mm. um, mm-hmm. you know, the big rivalry, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously grew up, uh, born and raised in a line. fan. Um, so I got to see quite a bit. And, Those were like the Turner days, right? Um, so which, 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 which a days? Coach Turner when your dad played there? Um, at Illinois, yeah. that was a uh, McVick. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was, yeah, my yeah. dad was a, okay. a big wave of scholarships at McVick. Um, okay. Offered. Yeah. Awesome. So I had a pretty good scope of what college football looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was doing visits, I took one to Tennessee. So I got to see some SEC life. Um, it was pretty cool, but growing up, I was pretty much a big 10 kid, mm-hmm. um, all the way. I took visits to Purdue, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, um, Indiana. Uh, was never really going to, had no interest in Ohio State. Um, but I, I saw a lot of different schools. Uh, but when I stepped on, on Michigan State's campus and looked around, I told my mom when we were driving, um, when I imagined college, like growing up as a kid, like yes. what I would feel like, like what I imagined myself walking to class, yeah. Michigan State was it. Like that's the image was almost picture perfect to what, you know, my dreams and aspirations were as a kid. So I knew it. That's where I wanted to go. Um, there were some circumstances at the time where they were very, very high on me after a camp that I went to. Um, but they had a guy who was incoming the year before me. Um, and during the season, they were very happy with them. And they, I remember I got an email. I was trying to go to a Michigan, Michigan state game, uh, during my senior year. And they said, Oh, we're very happy with so-and-so. Um, so we're not going to be looking to add another snapper to the roster. Mm. Good luck on your search. So at one point, Michigan state was like X'd off my list. Cause they told me they were good. So, um, yeah, I committed to U of M, um, like two weeks after signing day and then Easter Sunday, actually, um, my dad was uh, friends with Coach Narduzzi and Coach Roshar um, when my dad worked at Northern Illinois doing sports marketing. And however many years later, they, those both of those coordinators were at Michigan State, and Roshar called my dad, and he was like, we have a long snapping situation. And within three weeks, I had a scholarship offer. Wow. Yeah. It wow. Was, that was a really crazy couple yes. months right there. What what was do you do you recall any of the emotions? Obviously, you get yourself mentally uh, and I think energetically committed and probably excited to go play in the big house. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's here's one of the opportunities that you had really had high on your list. It comes back. What were the kind of emotions that you went through? And and did you ever really consider saying, hey, I already made the commitment. I'm going to stick to what I said. So as far as the commitment goes. I was committed as a preferred walk-on to go to University of Michigan. Um, Hoke told me, Coach Hoke told me that I would have gotten a scholarship, but they had to offer so many offensive linemen from the last coach that was there um, that they didn't have room for me. But the next year, I'd be able to earn one because space would open up. So that was fine with me. I think I was going to go in and compete with a fifth-year senior, which knowing what I know now, had I gotten there, there was no way I was going to beat out a fifth year senior, even if I was better than him, just based on the numbers and the roster, sure. the way they work yeah. things you don't know as an incoming freshman. That's right. Um, but 
when they called, I was super, super excited. But one thing, you know, they brought me up for a visit after they said, you know, we got a situation. So they brought me up for a visit and my mom and I sat in coach Antonio's office for a good hour. And we made it pretty clear that I wasn't going to make a lateral move. Um, so if all they had to offer me was a preferred walk on, that's bad business um, mm. to just kind of hop from one commitment mm-hmm. to the other, even if it was mm-hmm. my first choice. And I was fully prepared with sticking with U of M if that mm-hmm. was going to be the case. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of laid that on the table and coach, she was like, well, I got to look at the numbers and you know, there's this offensive lineman from Plainwell, Michigan that we really like that we're thinking about offering, but we're just going to have to look at the numbers. Um, and so that we had an hour and a half drive back to Celine from East Lansing. And I think in that, that car ride alone, my mom and I flipped whether we thought I was going to get a scholarship <laughs> or not. We like, we leave East Lansing. We're like, Oh, I'm getting a scholarship. Yeah. And then it's silent for 10 minutes. And then it's like, but man, I don't know. He said this. <laughs> and then we're silent for another 10, 15. It's like, yeah, but when we were going around that corner it, and it was just kind of flip, flop, flip, flop. <laughs> and I don't know what we thought was going to happen by the time we got home. Um, when did you find out? So I was actually dressed <laughs> head to toe in a Michigan sweatsuit because I was, I was, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday. I was, I was going to the U of M spring game as a commit. So like I was going to be week. that weekend, like this day, the day I got my scholarship, I was dressed head to toe in a U of M <laughs> outfit basically a sweatsuit i was ready to board the team plane it looked like and um i was so hyped but you know i was going to run around with all the other commits like it's u of m so they had four stars five stars like it was going to be a big deal going there and apparently i didn't know this coach had called my parents the night before and said a scholarship was on the way so the ups guy knocked on my door in like 9 a.m. on Saturday morning and uh, I'm wearing this sweatsuit and it's a big envelope, green envelope, says Michigan State on the back and I knew what it was. Um, and one fact from that story, when I when I said, oh, Coach D said, oh, we got a O-lineman from Plainwell we're looking at. Yes. That guy that they didn't offer the scholarship to and they offered it me to was Jack Conklin, who was, uh, I think it was like top, 10 pick in the 2015 he he was my freshman year roommate too yeah so we would give each other crap because he was he redshirted (laughs) and then all of a sudden he's a top 10 draft pick so i was like you know for a little bit i kind of felt bad oh man i took a scholarship yeah he he got top 10 nfl draft money i think he's fine yeah (laughs) then i saw the deal he signed with the browns a couple years ago like he's a-okay i think i think we we can call it even <laughs> I think so. I think so. You know what? And and that's the thing. You need it when you see Jack next. You need to take credit for inspiring him <laughs> exactly. to work harder. Exactly, by taking his scholarship. Well, I'm sure he was a little a little mad because I think his true freshman year, he told the media or Will Golston told the media that Jack Conklin was the best offensive lineman in the Big Ten, and he was redshirted that year. He didn't even play that year, and you know Will was singing his praises, and I'm sure he was. Uh, wanting to kick me in the in our oh, yeah. in our dorm room. Oh, uh, that's so good. You I mean, know. you you've um you were blessed at that time under Coach D'Antonio's regime. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and Coach D is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter how you look at it, 
if, if you know the only i think i think the only time i've gotten into maybe like a, a legitimate argument where i was like man i don't know if i'm winning this argument was with somebody from the sec and, and they're mm. like i don't watch big time football and then once they went to that level of arrogance i was like now nah, you're just ignorant <laughs> yeah never forget we're done we're done exactly. right. we're done debating the the d'antonio's time at michigan state but you played for one of the best mm-hmm. and i've heard so many great stories from Benny Fowler, AJ Troop, other guys that played during that time about how Coach D'Antonio did a lot more than just teach you how to be a great football player. Can you share with our listeners maybe one of the two, one or two of the things that really stand out to you in terms of lessons learned or values taken from a man like Coach D'Antonio? Um, absolutely. He the one thing I'll say about Coach is you know he's an amazing football mind, but I mean, one of the biggest things um, when he was at Michigan State was he cultivated and, and grew men there, basically, and mm-hmm. not in like the er, macho man sense, but truly about, you know, caring for others. Um, we were talking at dinner the other day. His biggest thing was completing your circles mm-hmm. um, and, you know, going back to your hometown, helping out with the, you know, your high school football team going to fundraisers for your school district um that it's all encompassing so kind of giving back you know um i I was telling you i've been working out with my high school football team the past couple weeks and i get onto them in the weight room because the weight room is super important but i always you know at the end they asked me to speak one day and i said if you think i'm getting on you it's because i feel passionately that I'm giving you guys something I wish I had when I was in, in high school. Um, and that's just knowledge for the most part. We're not talking a whole lot of ball when we're in the weight room, but I want these guys to lift safely. And like, it just, it starts from there and then it kind of works its way all the way up. And then you hope that it, the cycle continues and at least one of those guys comes back and can do the same thing that I've been doing. Yeah. and, And you know, um, I've heard so many different stories where I'm like, wow, that was just, so much more than football that he was pouring into all of you. What would you say? What would you say is maybe one of your favorite Coach D stories or moments from the time that you played there? Uh, and it could be it's fun not just or one, deep. Yeah, but- the the one funny thing is like, if you had to describe Coach D, I don't think anyone would mince words and saying like very dry personality. <laughs> great guy just a little dry yeah. and sometimes we'd be in team meetings and he would tell a joke question mark like <laughs> he would say something and you could see the humor in it but you just didn't know if he meant it to be funny and so sometimes he would say something and it, it would be like you could drop a pin yeah and he'd be like you guys can laugh at that and then <laughs> we were laughing at him giving us permission more than the actual joke that he said um there's just little things like that and um he he always made things fun one thing he did um in the off season that i think a lot of schools do it now but i had never heard of it at the time was he got us um um like eating etiquette course oh. he did that i think like two or three off seasons i was there um which i thought was really amazing because I learned from my grandparents. I remember anytime I would go over to their house in the summer and stay for like two weeks, like we would eat out a lot with their friends. And so my grandma would tell me, you know, fork on the left, knife and spoon on the right, just the various things. Yes. Um, some people aren't lucky enough um, 
whether it be socioeconomically or yeah. culturally. And so coach D was able to give that to a lot of people who, you know, wouldn't normally have the time or the opportunity to kind of get some like etiquette classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's again, he's raising men while we're there, we're getting a college degree. He's trying to set us up for success. You know, Oh, that was another thing he would say is four for 40. These four years at Michigan state will set you up for the next 40 years. So the, that etiquette wow. class is a big deal as well. You know, you're doing a business meeting and it's just important stuff. Wow. Four for 40. He said that a lot. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I, that's that's actually the first the first time I've heard that. Mm-hmm. I've not heard that. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when you when you look back at those years playing there, who was your who was the hardest working teammate that you remember? Just from your perspective, through your lens of walking and being a Spartan dog, hardest working teammate was never outworked. Give I'll, t- I'll tell you the the toughest. That the, was the second thing I was going to okay, ask you. Okay, I'll do the two toughest. The yeah. two toughest I know are Jack Allen, mm-hmm. who was our center mm-hmm. um, for a while, and um, Kyler Ellsworth. Um, those guys were insane. Because <laughs> when I when I say the toughest on the team, I also mean who are the two people I would want me want to back me up in a fight, <laughs> and I could take on anybody if I had Jack and Kyler on my side, without a doubt. Uh, um yeah there were a lot of guys that kind of worked silently i mean <clears throat> the bola brothers were constantly in the weight room oh yeah um mm-hmm. you know max was always mm-hmm. in the film room yeah um there were great guys just working all around um a really a ton of great leaders my sophomore year when we went to the rose bowl okay um not to knock anybody but my freshman year there was 2012 and there was a a lack of leadership people yeah. talk you know the coaches talked about it like during the season Different culture yeah um yeah. but i think having that tough year in 12 like we did we lost five games by a total of 13 points that's wow we went six and six in the regular season we lost to i think they were like top five ohio state by one point wow um there were a lot of games that were just kind yes. of a coin flip whether it be at the end or just little things sure um so that was like a very like character developing season Mm -hmm. for the entire squad Mm -hmm. and then when those juniors became seniors for 2013 it was like boom like it it clicked um they were able to assume those leadership roles that Mm -hmm. maybe they you know maybe maybe they weren't ready for at the time Mm -hmm. or maybe they felt like it wasn't their time because they weren't Mm -hmm. seniors yet but everybody stepped into a role in that season Mm and um it laid a blueprint for a good chunk of time after um the next year we Went to a New Year's Six Bowl game, Cotton Bowl, came back 21 points in the fourth quarter against mm-hmm. Baylor. And then the next year, we were in the college football playoff. So um, there's symbolism and there's like little strings through each season that kind of connect to the next one. Sure. Um, so it was really interesting to see. When do you, <clears throat> can you, can you recall when you knew, when you, when you began to really know? that you could play at the level of being in the NFL? So uh, this isn't a story I tell an awful lot just because it can get a little heavy, but um, I, I told you at the dinner, I was super skinny um, in high school. I was like 6'4", 185 when I committed to Michigan State. That is teeny tiny skinny. Um, that my freshman year I played at 195, 
Um, and again, I watched the film and I'm like, I don't know how they let me out on the field. It mm-hmm. looked like such a safety risk. The next year I hit, <laughs> yeah, I hit 205 pounds at six, four and still like they wanted me to be heavier. I knew I needed to be heavier. Um, I looked like a wide receiver, a skinny wide receiver trying to play long snapper. Who's like somebody that's on the line. Um, so there, it, what kind of happened was there was so much pressure on me to eat and gain weight that I something mentally kind of like the wires were crossed. So I would be super, super hungry uh, for breakfast or something, fill up a plate of what I thought I was going to eat. And I eat like two bites and then my stomach would like flip and I felt like sick and I felt like I was going to puke and huh. it just kept going. And I would get up to 210 pounds and then my body would just like, I don't know. And then I would drop to, to 200 again within two weeks and then the coaches would get on me because we have to weigh in before wow. every lift. So yes. it got to the point where I was eating <clears throat> two PB&Js and two chocolate milks. I had to eat it in front of our strength staff at 6 a.m. every morning during the week. Because they, like, I don't know what they, they just wanted to make sure they could see me get at least a thousand calories in, I guess, at the start of my day. And, like, it was a it was painful. Like, it was not fun. I, th- I left the office every day feeling like I was going to puke, but like that's what needed to be done. I, I finally talked to a sports psychologist about it. Um, Dr. Rosen, who's awesome. And we kind of found um, a medication that would help my appetite a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and sure enough, within two months, I was 225. No. Yeah. So sorry, wow. regarding the question that like led into this story. Sure. When I was, ending my sophomore season after the Rose bowl and I was 205 pounds. I was like, I, I can't play in the NFL like this. I, yeah. I want to, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can though. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of just in this weird limbo for a while and it was dependent on my weight. Really? That's all it was. I knew I had the ability. Um, and I started this medication and I hopped up to 225 pretty quickly. And then, I remember during summer workouts, our, our quarterback coach at the time kind of moseyed on over to me and we're like, we're doing that side by side stand to where it's like, you can't really tell if he's actually talking to me or not, if you're looking and he like leans over and he's like, Pep, are you, are you juicing? (laughs) (laughs) Which I can hand on the Bible. I have never touched that stuff in ever. And I was like, no coach, like I finally got some medication that'll let me eat. And now I can just smash whatever in the cafeteria. And I got stronger, obviously putting on 35 pounds in a couple months. And I played my junior season at 235 and my senior season at 240. So like that was such a journey and it was, it was really, really difficult. Um, right. Um, but I got over it and really that, that was going to be the thing if there was anything that held me back, uh, if I wouldn't have figured out that eating and weight sure. situation. I've, um, I feel like every, everyone that I've ever met who has or is and continues to perform at a high level, there's always, there's always some level of adversity, typically a number of different stories of adversity. Um, well, first of all, you know, thanks for sharing that one. You know, I find that most because the war is one in the mind first right uh it's like that eight pound freight train that dictates our energy attitude Mm -hmm. and effort um i find that most of us have had an advocate or a few advocates that kind of help us through that tough time 
if you're open to it mm-hmm. and to just touching on it a little bit more, can you think back to like, who were the people that, you know, encouraged you to speak with somebody about it? First of all, cause you know, typically, um, you know, we don't share our feelings. Mm-hmm. We definitely don't share our insecurities, but obviously you got to a point where you opened up and addressed it and, and look at where you're at now. But can you think of a few people that were there for you? Uh, yeah. One of my main, you know, supporters while I was there was uh, coach Dino Felino. He mm-hmm. um, was a, uh, like a player outreach kind of guy. Um, not player performance, but um, he supported us in player different engagement. ways. Player engagement is what I mean. Yes. Yep. Um, also like asterisks he was the special teams i like i call him the special teams babysitter um because he wasn't like a special teams coach because he was player engagement um he would sit in our special teams in our specialist meeting room when all the other positions were meeting and um there's not a whole lot of film to watch as a specialist. So when you get done with that 10 minutes of film and the whole rest of your team has another 50 minutes of film, you need a mediator in the room. So (laughs) he was kind of there to make sure everybody was straight, but he, uh, um, he was a D coordinator at Vanderbilt for a while. Like he, he coached for a long time. Sure. Um, and he was a good friend of coach Antonio's and, by the end of Michigan State, he was like a another dad to me. Um, and That's I'm awesome. like best friends with his son, Danny Felino, who's a strength coach at Cincinnati now. But um Oh man, what a program. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wow. I thought they were all going to Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. They could have gone to Notre Dame, I think. Yeah. That's a special place right now. So I'm excited to like see how they keep going. That's great. But yeah, Dino was a huge help to me. And then um <clears throat> just various various support staff around the building, um, whether it be, you know, I think at that time Pratik was still there. Um, our nutritionist Pratik Patel was there for two years and then he left to go to Oregon and I reconnected with him. Um, he was the nutrition guy, uh, in New York when I was there in 2019. Oh, with the giants. Yeah. So that was (laughs) any, any connection that you can get in the building is it makes the workplace so much more fun. So just seeing him all the time was, was awesome. Um, but there were a lot of advocates and in the end it kind of came down. I was just getting frustrated with, um, weighing in and just not seeing it. I I knew something was, there was, there was a disconnect because it wasn't just um, like at the cafeterias when I was thinking about football or like in the vicinity of the football field. Like it wasn't even that, like I remember going on dates with girls and because like I would take two bites of sushi and then my stomach would flip. Like it's so funny because it's so weird and off base, but I would get so self-conscious that like my date was eating more than me. But then that would just feed back into the the feedback loop of like feeling guilt and shame that I couldn't eat. So then I couldn't eat even more like it wow. just like the cycle. And then, you know, I was telling people, oh, I'm trying to gain weight. Um, they're like, oh, I have some that you can find. You know, I, I need to lose some so you can find it for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I heard every joke like it, it, everything like that just totally doesn't help. Like I get it. We're in like a diet culture and whatever. Like you don't often hear of people struggling to gain weight, but. It, it's real. It feels just the same as if you called an obese person, like a fatty, like, why don't you just hop on the treadmill fatty? Like it's that, but inverse. And like, yes. people don't feel bad because everyone's tried to, to attain like losing weight. Yeah. So they just, that doesn't work in their mind either. So it was just, it wasn't a fun two years, the, those two years of college. But after that, like I bulked up, I felt like 
I felt like also at the time when I was bulking up physically, I felt like emotionally and kind of maturity wise, I kind of hit a little growth spurt going into my junior, senior year too. So it was kind of mental, physical all around. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Well, one, I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that because um, it's, it's a meaningful story of uh, adversity, self-awareness, conscious Mm decision-making, being vulnerable to get help. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are things that we all face every day in life, you know, whether we're in janitorial services or, running a tool and die shop or in sales or in professional sports, right? Mm -hmm. We're facing, we're facing our own sort of, you know, dragons, monsters, and demons. Um, You immediately made me think about, you know, how many of the guys like in our mutual circle, you know, have played professional basketball Mm -hmm. and, you know, my, one of my practice partners, Paul Davis, it's like everywhere we, another Spartan dog, um, the coaches of basketball, uh, you know, and every, everywhere we go, someone makes a comment to him about how tall he is. And I think like, dude, he's like you saying that to him is like him saying, well, you're fat Mm -hmm. or wow, you're really fat yeah, or you're really short or you're really bald. Like how does, how do you think that makes someone feel, you know, whether you're just trying to kind of break the ice or you're just having this like awkward, like moment of paralysis. Cause he is a big deal. He's a great human. He's played at the highest level. Um, but it's not really well received cause you never know what someone else is going through. Exactly. About that situation. In and life. people get it twisted because they think, you know, a lot of people grow up, they're like, oh, I want to be tall. So, like, they think they're almost, like, praising you, like, for, like, something yes. that's, like, desirable. And I'll I'll offer a really good example, because like, I, <laughs> I want people to know this, and I know she wants people to, like, be aware of it. My wife really struggled with um, nausea and eating when she was pregnant um, with Rue to the point where, like, she couldn't gain the weight that was, like, suggested. And anytime she went out and saw a friend, uh, a mutual acquaintance, a neighbor, and they commented, oh, my God, you look so good. You're so skinny. It killed her because when she heard you're so skinny, she hears in her brain, you're not eating enough for your kid to grow the right way. And it just plays back to what I was saying about people thinking they're giving you a compliment because it's like, you know, some people feel they gain too much weight when they get pregnant. So like they think staying skinny and you know, people are obsessed with um, the snapback body. Oh, um, yeah. It's like a whole phenomenon right. with pregnant women. It's like, Oh, don't worry about gaining the weight. Like you'll snap back. I heard that a lot. So my wife is very mental health focused and centric and um, she, it happened a couple of times. And then she pointed it out to me. And then when people would say it in front of both of us, yes, then I would get mad <clears throat> and like, try to politely interject and be like, she's having a really tough time with nausea. Like she wishes she could eat more and like, Oh, but it's just, yeah. People think they're offering a compliment when really it's just, you know, how are you feeling would be better than, Oh my God, you look great. Yeah. It's like, how are you? Do-? Cause that's all Haley wanted was, how are you doing? Not how is the baby doing? Oh my God, you look so right. skinny. You look so great. You're a hot mom. Like yes. stuff, like little things. They think they're giving you something you want. It's not the case. 
Yeah, it's such a good point, right? And you said it so much more eloquent than I did. I got really aggressive on my, <laughs> my comments uh, and my opinions. I guess I just see it happen so often, and I often think, and, and, and you know, he's he, he, Petey is so mentally tough. It's not like I'm saying, like, oh, he can't handle that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, like, it just seems so, as like a bystander of it, I find it to be kind of awkward. And I, I often think, I'm like, dude, the guy's got a great suit on. Why not mention that? <laughs> why, why not mention well, that? It's a, a, a feat to make a navy. suit that big. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my God, your tailoring, tailoring looks great. Like, I'm sure it was hard to find that much fabric in one roll. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's just little things like just be more human centric yes. more than just like appearance, I guess yeah. is, is the thing, you know, totally. So, so I want, I want to start getting into your, your time in the NFL. Um, I know you're with the 49ers now mm-hmm. and, and I, I, but I want to peel back the layers a little bit to going back to your senior year in college, you're approaching draft day. What were you thinking as you approached draft day and how did you deal with going undrafted? Yeah. So, one i'll try to keep it as short as i can one no, really no. funny story so going into my senior year i got listed as second team preseason all-american yeah and congratulations you started Thank how many you. games at michigan state because i 54 that's it yeah. baby and there's without covid it's the record because <laughs> <laughs> technically guys got another year there's an asterisk okay there's an asterisk next to a couple guys names at michigan state anyway we did it the old-fashioned way uh um, that's right with four years of eligibility um so I, I got named preseason All-American, uh, second team All-American, and all of a sudden I had agents in my school email, my Facebook inbox, wherever they could get it. You know, I don't know how they were getting some of this information. Um, <laughs> my favorite story to tell <laughs> is that um, I got this one email and it was like so in your face and halfway through it gets to this point and it goes us here at so-and-so and so-and-so we do not make mistakes in all caps and the very next sentence there was a misspelled word and i deleted the email on the spot i didn't say thanks for and thanks for the interest thanks for the, you're gonna make a claim like that oh like, my god i love it thinking back like i pat myself on the back as a, a senior in college I like, love it. that was no nonsense you know you're yeah. gonna make a claim that strong in all caps <laughs> You're going to suffer the consequences. So I deleted that email right there. I was I was not about to to have that. You know, you can't. So We do not make mistakes. And hey, if you listen to this, you know who you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, I ended up with a terrific agent. But going towards draft day, um, had a couple workouts before pro day. I felt like I had a decent pro day. Um, leading up i started getting a bunch of calls from um jerry rosberg in baltimore and he was talking about you know all of his michigan state connections his son at the time jared um played hockey at michigan state oh awesome super awesome kid super nice guy yep um jerry was Izzo's roommate at northern michigan they go to school they were they were i think freshman year roommates together um so he was solidifying his michigan state connection with me which that was enough enough said um and we had a lot of talks and i kind of started asking around about him you know he's a special teams guru yeah uh interesting and it was just kind of touch base phone calls um he didn't give me any indication of the draft um, the Redskins called and they were kind of trying to rub elbows goody goody with me. 
and they said something about the seventh round or the last round and i was like okay okay so as draft days well multiple draft days the first two rounds i know or first two days i know i'm definitely not getting selected (laughs) one of those but you know we could try it out um the lions ended up taking some kid who's already out of the nfl um i could have told you that at the time but (laughs) nobody was really surprised yeah um (laughs) Uh, lion's gonna lion, I guess. <laughs> oh my goodness! Right? Um, wow. So, uh, towards the fifth round, I think the Redskins called again, and they are Commanders now. Um, yes. Um, they called and they said, you know, we're not sure how many picks we're gonna have left in the seventh round. Um, it's looking like we we aren't gonna take you, but we're gonna sign you right after um, as a free agent. I was like, all right, sweet. Draft ends five minutes. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, no phone calls. I'm like, I felt bad because I know my agent was running around for other mm-hmm. guys. You know, she works for, there's a, there were a couple of us in that draft class. Sure. So I, I was like, what's the deal? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. You know, commanders never called. Um, it ended up, I never heard from Washington that day. Um, and I think, so I think I got a call from, I think it was the Browns, the Dolphins, and I decided I was going to go to the Browns minicamp, I think. And then 10 minutes after I said, oh, I'll go to the Browns minicamp, Jerry Rosberg called me from the Ravens and said, um, uh, have you, have you, are you going anywhere? And I was like, yeah. well, I'm thinking about going to the Browns, but I'm not sure yet. And he's like, wait, you haven't like signed anywhere? I was like, no. And he was like, oh, well, I didn't think you were going to be available. So like we have somebody else coming like, um, I want you here. Are you okay with another snapper being here? Cause most of the time at some of these yes. rookie workouts, it's just one snapper yep. each place, which is yep. totally normal. He was like, you know, are you okay joining another guy? I was like, yeah, the Michigan state connection reading his, his, uh, history and, sure. and, and kind of the, um, takes I had gotten from other guys in the NFL about the knowledge that he had. I was totally fine with going in with another, another dude. And, um, I said, yeah, I, I'd like to go to Baltimore for this mini camp. He's like, all right, I'll call you back in a little bit. Turns out he asked the other kid if he was okay with another snapper coming and he said no. So he left and it was just me. And, um, at that mini camp, he kind of drastically changed my form. He said, listen, I know the way you snap now, you know, the way we snapped in college was like, you locked your legs out. It was super Mm -hmm. hard to get your base back under you to block Mm -hmm. for the NFL. And he was like, if you want to play in the NFL, he's like, I'm not telling you you have to, but it's going to be hard if you do it this way, this way is way easier. Um, and he taught me how, and he sent me back home. No indication of bringing me back again, but, um, he gave me two assignments to work on the form. And then he needed me to lose as much body fat as I could. I was, I was like 18% body fat, which like wasn't bad for a long snapper. Um, and he was like, you need to lose body fat. Blah, blah, blah. I told the snapper, Morgan Cox, he and I are good friends now. And I was like, yeah, he said I needed to lose like body fat. He was like, what were you? I was like 18. He was like, I'm pretty sure I'm 18. He's never said anything about, but I'm sure that gave him a little bit of a complex. So I, I get back and oh. it's funny. Cause I was like, I think my parents were giving me $50 a week for groceries at this point. And so I say this because that was the best like diet I was ever on and got the best results because I had to eat everything I bought because I couldn't afford anything else. (laughs) 
And it's so hard. I have f- found it since I've been in the NFL. It's so hard to stay to uh, a diet because if I'm out and about, I can just stop by any restaurant I want and eat. Whereas in college, I had to eat my eight ounces of chicken and my one cup of cooked rice. That's because right. That's all I had to eat. That's so it. I was able to eat like a dog. They always say eat like a dog when you're on a diet. Just the same thing over and over. I was able to eat like that because that's all I could afford. So now it's a little bit harder for me to shed that weight. But um <laughs> He invited me back to uh, the veteran mini camp six weeks later. Uh, and in that time, I lost two and a half percent body fat, which is pretty quick for two and a half percent, six weeks. Uh, and I worked on my form and um, he was super, you know, appreciative of it and said I did a really good job, but he didn't end up signing me then. Um, so that was kind of my first part of my first rookie summer. And you went from from that experience. Take us through to getting to the San Francisco 49ers. Well, there's a lot in between there. <laughs> there's a lot in between uh, my the mini camp and, and the Niners. So the n- most notable things. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, signed a futures deal at the end of 16 with uh, Green Bay. Went to OTAs. I was the only long snapper that was going to be on the roster. So they signed me like in January. And then all the way leading up to mid April, there was, I was the only long snapper. Then two weeks before OTA started, they signed some tight end long snapper hybrid from James Madison. And I was like, what the heck? And like, I had never heard of this kid either (laughs) with no body fat problem. (laughs) He was, no, that was the thing was, so it was funny because, you know, he, everyone knew it. He didn't have the long snapping experience that I did, but he was like, if I had to quantify it, I would say he was, five to 10% faster than me, five to 10% stronger than me and just had a better body composition overall. But we were there to snap. Okay. So three weeks in, they cut me uh, to OTAs and I was, I was baffled because like competition wise, like I I was dominating. I thought, Um, so I just went back home, started training again, various workouts, various mini camps. Um, At the end of the summer, I was at Cedar point, um, at the time and we were leaving and Rosberg called my phone again and he said, Hey, are you available if, if, if we need you? Like I need to look at the numbers, but um, for the last preseason game, we want to give Morgan a week's rest and we, I'd like to get you some film um, as a favor. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and the NFL for specialists, like NFL film is King. Um, I played those 54 games in college, sure. but I'm pretty sure any NFL team wants a pre- one preseason game over 54 college games. Sure. So this was like a big break for me. Um, he was doing me a solid. I was theoretically doing him a solid. I mean, he could have called anybody, but, um, to give Morgan a break for a week, um, had a pretty good game. Then it was the season started and it was kind of radio silence and I didn't know what was going to go on. And three weeks into the season, um, the it wasn't the guy I competed against because they re-signed their old vet at the end of the summer. Brett Good for the Packers um, like messed up his hammy. Um, and so I played four games for the Bears. Then I went to the, my bye week and then the very first practice back from the bye week, um, I broke my foot. <clears throat> wow yeah and my season was over um in november 2nd 2017 and was, you and you've had a couple other pit stops and then you what do you think was the thing that stands out the most to you as to why san francisco came out and said hey let's give you this two-year deal um so 
when I was with, so, um, Hightower, who was my coach for two years in San Francisco, uh, is really good friends with, uh, T-Mac, who's a special teams coordinator in New York. He's been oh, there yeah. for a while. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I was in New York for an entire off season OTAs in camp. Um, and in that time, you know, I played a year for Miami, but I was still going on a ton of tryouts. So mm-hmm. um, when your name pops up, any tryout you have, your name pops up on the waiver wire so other coaches can see you're going other places. So my thing was, even if I'm not getting picked up anywhere, as long as I keep going on these workouts, coaches can see my name. So Hightower had seen my name a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, he could ask T-Mac about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they, I got, I played in 20 for Miami. Coronavirus shut us down. So I couldn't go anywhere. And then I got cut because they drafted a long snapper in Miami. Um, And then because of coronavirus, the NFL wasn't allowing any workouts. Hmm. So I was just stuck at home. They could sign guys, but they couldn't bring them in to work them out and then sign them. So they had to sign them blind and no one's going to take that risk on a snapper. So I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs until um, I think the beginning of August, they opened up workouts. And so I went on five workouts. Um, it was horrible working out during quarantine because I had to fly there. Then you had to quarantine in a hotel for three days. Yeah, that's right. Three negative tests. I got to the point. I so that never comes back. Oh God. My last workout going there. I told my agent after this workout, if people want to bring me out, they got to pay me something. Like, I don't know how to even like structure that, but like I'm losing almost a week's worth of weight workout because i had a, a bench and and free weights mm-hmm. at my house i'm missing out on workouts going on these mm-hmm. these tryout calls and mm-hmm. i'm gone for four days i need something because mm-hmm. this is like a losing investment in the long run i'm going to be super weak if i do get the opportunity and luckily enough that last workout was the one where i stuck um and i was able to you know put on a good enough performance to get a two-year deal um and it was tough. The The main thing they were bargaining against was the fact I hadn't spent a full year at one franchise yet. Sure. Um, so they were able to lowball me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm determined. That's it. That's not going to be the case. This is going to be your best season the, ever, the, right? Yeah, the next contract. So I, I want to get to two last things before we start to wrap up. And I know we're coming up on the hour. Um, where are you pulling inspiration from today i mean i've heard you reference colin mcgregor Mm. i've heard you reference other people old teammates coaches where are you pulling your most consistent source of inspiration from today funny you mentioned conor mcgregor so i don't know if i've ever mentioned this to anyone other than like my family but um any workout I, i reached a certain point um any workout i would go on right before we hit the field i would tweet a picture of conor whether it was him like winning, getting the bell, or if it was mm-hmm. him doing his, his arm mm-hmm. swing and walk through. Um, I was just trying to like, in those instances, um, just for lack of a better word, just trying to like channel like his swag mm-hmm. and mindset. And, um, I didn't have a lot of like sports idols growing up. Like I never grew up with a lot of different jerseys. And, and I don't know if that was because I was so into like the sports world with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as I got older and kind of on this NFL journey, I was gravitating towards those very loud, bombastic athletes, borderline detrimental to their own image. <laughs> Connor McGregor, um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, oh. um, the, the cockiest, 
And it's funny because like, uh, I'm a long snapper. Like I'm not really in a position where I can like yeah. walk out like this to all, you know, 70,000 fans screaming, like uh, maybe mm, <laughs> 150 people in the stadium know my name, know that I'm on the team, but it's, we're it, growing it. We're it, growing it. It was the mindset that they have that nobody can F with me basically. Yeah. And as much as you can dominate someone else in a long snapping competition, that's what I set out to do before every workout. So, that's where I pulled a lot of inspiration from um, during those moments. Um, now, now what's kind of driving me is just the legacy that I, I want to leave. Um, Love it. You have the picture of Robbie and I up there. Yeah. He's somebody who like very clearly has his legacy chiseled out. Um, 18 seasons. 18. Man. I mean, once we play the first game of this season, his career can vote. I mean, that's yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> that's, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. 18 years. Um, and so since I, I've joined the Niners, um, he has just absolutely taken me under his wing yep. and taught me how to be a better football player, a better teammate, a better um, pro around the building. Because uh, you can go out and, and ball out on the field, but you also there's also a reputation that people – and fans will never know about. Mm -hmm. And that's with the support staff around the building. That's mm -hmm. with <clears throat> the people from the head strength coach to mm -hmm. Kyle, to John, mm -hmm. all the way down to, you know, how people see you treat, you know, janitors, mm -hmm. um, the, the interns in the training room that tape ankles, mm -hmm. the interns in the training room who aren't even allowed to touch the athletes. Like <laughs> it's, it's that, that's very, very important to me now because those people are, are who make the franchise run. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, I think we, we brought this up the first time when we met some time ago. Um, Samantha and I had met him a few times through our good friend, Israel Donage, mm -hmm. who played with Robbie for years. And um, he was everything I thought he was going to be mm -hmm. when we met him. Just mm -hmm. an absolute pro, uh, great sense of humor, witty, somewhat sarcastic. Uh, but in, in that moment, it was at a philanthropic event. The first time we met where that picture was taken, um, no ego, ton of humility. He was like a man of the people. Like he mm -hmm. could have ran for governor that day in mm -hmm. Chicago. Oh, I, you know, I'm waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll happen. He says it won't, but yeah, it, it that's awesome. Coaching. Yeah. And Benny always says about being a pro, right. Mm -hmm. And it really resonates, you know, when I think of guys like him and guys like you that are on the front end of your career. I love that. Tell me, uh, I've got one more question on where you're at right now with the 49ers. I'll say one thing about Robbie. Is yeah, he's very humble, but he knows how good he is. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows how good he is. Yeah, yeah, he, he knows the stats, right? He's got the swag. He's got yeah. the confidence. And he and I are pretty similar. Like, There's some people who can't like get mad at themselves if they mess up. It, it really would be detrimental sure. to like their, their performance. Um, he and I both aren't like that. Like, yeah. If somebody can actually make him mad before practice, that's that's the best thing. If I can get somebody to say something to him, like yeah. we'll have a great practice, and I just need somebody to talk crap to him before every game. So <laughs> yeah, if you're a rookie, don't come in trying to buy his number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I told you about that. <laughs> okay, oh, la last question on this topic: your brand. You just spoke about legacy. It made me start to think. You know how most professional athletes today they really do have their own brand, their own like what what people see them as beyond just t tall, thin, handsome Tabor Pepper, married to Haley, baby Rue. Right? You snuck. You barely snuck. I caught the you handsome part. You saw, I, I barely snuck it I in. I almost snuck, didn't realize. Yeah, it. I Thank snuck you. that in for Haley. <laughs> um, 
what if I was sitting down with a bunch of your teammates, if I was sitting down with George or with Robbie or others that you that are closer to you, what would they say is your brand on the team? Um how would they describe you oh, to us? I don't know. I I hope they would say um I'm not afraid to be myself. Um and I've always tried to be that way. Um there's a point in my life where I was trying to cater to others because I was just trying to fit in. Sure. Um, cause when I moved from Oklahoma to Michigan, that was in 10th grade, arguably tough. I don't have the stats, but it's statistically the worst year of your life to move to a new <laughs> high school, just based on my <laughs> anecdotal tough. data, but yeah. which is an oxymoron. But, um, yeah, now being myself is m- my absolute like main focus when it comes to kind of my brand and my image and you can, I think you can see that um, in my social media presence. Cause I'm tweeting about a million different things, you know, one second it'll be me training my dog. Um, the other second I'll be talking about my favorite anime. Then I'll be talking about video games and I, I bounce around a lot. Cause that's just how my brain works. I have yeah. ADD, ADHD, all that stuff. Like, I'm just constantly consuming information, whether it be about a hobby or the world around me. So just somebody who can be themselves and and somebody who cares about his teammates and, and wants to win. Yeah. There's no doubt. Everybody that we have in uh, mutually in common, they say that, right. You're a hard worker. You really do care. Like you're committed, you're convicted, you're convicted, you're obsessive about being great at your job mm-hmm. so that you are a great teammate. And I love hearing that. Um, 10 years from now, if you're not like my favorite long snapper <laughs> so far, manly for okay, the Chicago yeah. bears, you're not in it for almost two decades of yeah. playing football, <clears throat> football greatness. You're my second favorite long snapper. Now, that's, though. I will say that 10 years from now, if you're not playing football, what are you doing? Um, one thing, um, by in 10 years, I, if I'm not playing football, um, I'll tell you one thing I'll have accomplished is I want to win um, at least a national championship in IGP, which is the dog training stuff that I do. Love it. At, give us a, give us a good quick story on that. Um, yeah. So um, where do I even begin? Uh, my dog Hogan is a Czech German shepherd working line, German shepherd. Uh, we shipped him over here from the Czech Republic. Um, he's a namesake from my wife's dog. She had when she was a kid. Um, my late father-in-law was a police officer in Ipsy and Ann Arbor. And, um, he didn't have a police dog, but they wanted a dog. So they yeah. got one from Germany and that dog's name was Hogan. And, uh, Kevin's Kevin was a huge golf fan. So it's named Mr. after Williams. Ben. B- yeah, yeah. Ben Hogan, uh, is oh. where he got the name from. Awesome. And now when I got my dog, I just loved the name in general. So he's Hogan too now. Um, but when we got him, I was in Florida during quarantine. And when I was learning about German shepherds, I learned about the IPO IGP. It's kind of, there's a bunch of different names. Shuts end is the traditional name for it. Um, but it's, uh, it's a dog, training competition and there's three phases scent tracking obedience and protection um and it's kind of the sport that um working dogs like police dogs and stuff they use that sport to develop dogs to improve the breed for military work police work wow um therapy scent training all sorts of stuff so um it's so fascinating and the guy that i found um to help 
teach me. Uh, his name's Fabian Robinson, and okay. he's won two world championships, and he's unbelievable. He wow. could have he could have won ten if he wanted to, but he's kind of just he's waiting for the right dog because he could go in and and be in top five every year. Um, but he does not, um, he doesn't want to compete if he's not going to win and he has the eye for it. He's, he's unbelievable. Is he here in Michigan? He's in Florida. Okay. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, one funny story is when I first started going to them, we'd work together for about an hour. They'd showed me a couple of things that I needed to take Hogan home, do with him for a couple of days and then come back and they were going to see check. So I did this about three or four times. It had been like two weeks at this point and I showed them the thing that we were working on, the homework they gave me and he's watching, he always does this. He always watches like this. He's grabbing his chin here, arms folded. And I did it. And he like throws his hands down and he goes, Gina, we ever have anybody come back four times in a row doing exactly what we asked. And she's like, no. And he's like, he's like, I know he's like, this is unbelievable. And I was like, yes, because this guy is, this guy is so intense and like very cut and dry. Like if you mess something up, he's going to tell you. So like that compliment. And after that, they learned, cause I don't know what impression they had about me, you know, being in the, in the NFL and stuff, but yes. they learned how coachable I was. Yeah. And when he said to do something a certain way, like I did it. And so it was funny to me for them to like be so impressed because yeah, Normally, I don't have a couple of days to fix something in a drill if a coach is yelling at me. Yes. So the fact I had that buffer, I was able to do it perfectly. So I think that's why I love the dog training so much is his watchful eye, the way he's able to explain it to me, and then I can make adjustments so easily. So that's that's what attracts me to it. I love it. And it just reinforces the way we started. You did it because you said you would. Yep. <laughs> Today's conversation was awesome, Tabor. Loved hearing about more of the adversity, though, really enjoyed that. I mean, the the conversation going down a rabbit hole of mental wellness, mental health, advocates, you know, attacking your vision, not giving up when you went undrafted, continuing to commit to the travel and the workouts so that you were top of mind on these teams uh, that were looking for your specific expertise. The fact that this is going to be your best season ever mm. And then the 49ers are going to sign you again, and it's going to be an incredible career, incredible run. The arrival of Rue and uh, you and Haley attacking your best life by design. I still think, so maybe maybe we don't even give it to Kittle. Maybe we have Haley do it. <laughs> Haley, start a business where you simply show NFL wives how to dress and show up for the games and build a brand on Instagram. I think it's going to be special. Boot camp. I think it, <laughs> it's good. Love being with you, man. Any final thought before we go? Complete your circles. Complete your circles. Yeah, I love it. Coach D uh, played uh, Tabor Pepper again, San Francisco 49ers, long snapper, real estate investor. We didn't even go there. We're going to do that 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. 2.0 conversation, new father, Heading to San Fran in about two weeks uh, to kick off a great season. Big fan of Coach Shanahan's. I hope you guys have a great season and dominate the best you can. The only day we might be at odds is the first game of the season when I'm watching you at my Soldier Field uh, play our Chicago Bears. But, hey. I, I hope you have a great game. And I know you will. I appreciate it. I'm bringing Robbie with me, so I think I think oh, the city will be on my side. <laughs> so, and you know what? Uh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna find your jersey. I'm gonna dress all of my family up in Tabor Pepper jerseys. <laughs> but I am gonna wear my old Robbie Gold jersey. Perfect. I'm gonna wear it. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, brother. Thank you so much.